1: Hi and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for 4 minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Thursday, March 10th, 2022. This is episode number 233. I'm Susan Sorries, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour, author of the children's book, What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and cannabis's favorite grandma, aka Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast or watching on the YouTube channel, the show is live every weekday at 9am. Pacific Standard Time on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 27,000 State of Cannabis news hour members if you want to be an audience participant. This is one of the unique things about our show. Not only do we have a panel of expert correspondents, often we have someone in our audience that's intimately involved in the story. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. Today we're talking about New York's interesting equity move, home grow laws, consumption lounges, regulation changes in California, Gwyneth Paltrow, microdosing, CBD in children, and many other frosty nuggets, so stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour.
2: The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised.
1: Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant or you might get the gong. Kicking off the show today is Nicole West. She is a cannabis business specialist, director of operations at LB Atlantis, and an important advocate for the plant. Nicole is a veteran in the cannabis industry and is always ready to use her experience to guide others. That experience includes taking a felony for a vague and confusing law. During her brief incarceration, she earned the nickname Jail Google from fellow inmates. What's your headline today, Nicole?
3: Well, good morning, everybody. My headline today is uh, some Thursday spice for you all. Um, My headline is actually a bit of a um, releasing of a brand new story. Um, We are breaking this news in regards to a document that was leaked from the CCIA in regards to a bill being sponsored by Senator Weiner. And my actual uh, headline isn't exactly a headline so much as the Weed for Warriors response to finding out about this information. So SB 1186, sponsored by Wiener, um, is called being called the Cannabis Local Jurisdictions Medical Patient's Right of Access. Um, and I just want to make sure that everyone understands what they're calling it when we go into the next parts of this. Now, I personally want to uh, say that after reading this, I definitely saw a lot of things that were uh, good ideas and good points as far as tax reform was concerned. There's definitely a portion on here that says that they they want to cut the excise or suspend the excise tax, suspend the cultivation tax for five years. And, it, you know, there were some really great things in the beginning of this. And then we get to this section called retail access. OK, and that's really where things get a little bit squirrely, in my opinion, and also in the Weed for Warriors opinion. So I wanted to read the response from their uh, Instagram in regards to this leaked confidential message. So it is Bill SB 1186 by CCIA or the California Cannabis Industry Association. SB 1186, ironically called the medical patient's right of access bill, would allow any and all California counties to ban home delivery of legal cannabis to patients, including disabled veterans. Source one in the picture above, which is on their Instagram, the internal uh, confidential CCIA or California Cannabis Industry Association memo outlining their bill SB 1186, store storefront only. Now, this is where things get a little weird. They state that if a local jurisdiction wants to allow storefront retail only and doesn't want to allow deliveries at all, perhaps for tax reasons or perhaps because the local jurisdiction feels like it can maintain better regulatory control over storefront retail, then the local jurisdiction is free to make that choice too. The local jur- jurisdiction that allows storefront retail doesn't need to allow delivery, which that's, Absolutely insane. <clears throat> this offer is intended to appeal to the local control as delivery is taxed at the point of sale, not at the point of delivery of cannabis goods. By banning local delivery, local cities and counties believe that they will increase local tax revenue. The ban also appeals to million millionaire brick and mortar retail owners as it eliminates competition, thus increasing their monopolistic pricing power at the few that very have any sort of access to legal medicine. Now, I did uh, we brought Sean Kiernan up from the Weed for Warriors to have a uh, comments on this. They definitely are asking. They have a call to action of mobilizing, reaching out to the CCIA, reaching out to Senator Wiener. They on their page. Have uh, contacts for everyone you need to reach out to, and there was a correspondence between Sean and uh, Amy Jenkins of the CCIA. And Sean, you are on stage. I would love to hear your take on this, and please let us know uh, what you want us to do. What's going on?
4: Right. So SB eleven eighty six under the misnomer of medical access is. Basically, the argument is the brick and mortars in cities like Los Angeles, and this is where this is emanating from, are upset because they feel it's unfair competition that these delivery companies come in from jurisdictions with lower local taxes. It's a competitive disadvantage. They've been pushing this ban for years. We've blocked it and ended up in a lawsuit. And now they're trying to codify it at the state level in the regs with this. Amy Jenkins and CCIA straight lied to our face and you can see that uh, email up there that they have no intent on banning uh, uh, delivery. Uh, but obviously, their their internal memo uh, sold that one out. We did talk to Senator Wiener's office last night, Sevi Christensen. Uh, he is the legislative director. And right now, they rewrote it based on our objection. And it still had the ban in there. And we said we couldn't support it. So as of now, the ban is still in seven, uh, SB 1186, we are asking everyone to call not only the CCIA board, we're pressuring some of the big uh, uh, companies within CIA to, to address this, but also to reach out to Senator Weiner's office. This would be a, a, a horrible, horrible uh, uh, bill for disabled veterans and patients, as a lot of them get uh, their uh, uh, medicine from delivery. And The problem is every county and city is going to be incentivized to adopt these bans because sales on delivery originate from where the delivery driver comes from. And so if he delivers in Los Angeles and he's coming from Adelanto, uh, Los Angeles gets no tax revenue. So you will see cities and counties enact these bans throughout the state basically destroying delivery access, and creating even more of a monopolistic power for pricing as competition uh, even lessens. So ironically enough, the medical access bill will cause uh, a worse access post-fact
3: now, Sean, I do want to uh, ask, because I read this entire uh, memo and there were portions of it that I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. D- do you feel the same way? Like there were some really great points in here that I think, you know, within, within regards to taxes and that sort of thing. But this one specific area in regards to access really concerned me. Um, but how right. do you feel about some of the other stuff? Like- uh,
4: we've told Senator Weiner, uh, we told him last night that if the bill Uh, removes the ban, we think we can make progress in supporting it. So, yes, we think there are some good parts to this bill. Again, we just think, once again, the patient perspective has been left in uh, uh, the parking lot, not even left field, and uh, that's the majority of cannabis users. This will not help, you know, uh, assimilate the black market into the legal market or actually push further patients into the illicit market. And it is just amazing to me that Senator Weiner can title something about access and then deny access to you know homebound patients. It, it just makes no sense,
1: Sean. It's really unenforceable, right? I mean, it's it's so dumb to have laws that you can't enforce.
4: Well, uh, yeah. They, so let's talk about that. The the lawsuit that occurred uh, after we blocked the delivery back in 2018 and 19 from local control, the administration defended uh, delivery, but then the, after the appeal, they backed out for political reasons and said, you know what? We're not going to argue that local control can't ban delivery, but the state doesn't have to help. So there's about 60 bans in place right now. Uh, But as you said, they're not enforceable. I can get them. The problem is once you codify it in the state bill, The DCC now gets involved and they can see any delivery going to any municipality that shouldn't and they'll be involved in enforcing it and it will become enforceable for any license holder because the DCC has records of it. So that's our concern. And then the other thing is it creates the incentive, the economic incentive saying, if you're forcing me to have access here, I'm going to collect the taxes. So sure, like in Sonoma, we'll give Spark one dispensary uh, in, the whole, in the whole county, uh, giving them a monopoly. And so that's your access and we ban delivery. So anyone who wants cannabis in Sonoma now has to go to Spark, has no delivery option. And that is not price competitive. That's actually anti-competitive. And you will see prices get worse.
1: Um, we're, we're at time on this headline, but I wanted to. I saw Laura and Mike. I wanted to give Laura uh, some time and Troy up from the audience, and then Nicole wrap up the story.
2: Okay. Hi. Um, yeah. Thanks for this important story. I, I'm not sure it does what people think it's going to do, but also, you know, to clarify in, in terms of tax revenue. If even if you're generating a delivery from one jurisdiction to another jurisdiction, you're supposed to be collecting both jurisdictions' tax. So technically, you would have to be paying. Tax in the jurisdiction to which it would be delivered, and if people would just take care of accounting for that and remit those taxes, maybe those jurisdictions that impose these delivery bans or try to impose them for what they're worth, uh, you know, might see the light. So, you know, being a responsible business owner is is part of you know, working your way into the good graces of these communities just pointing that out.
0: This bill is fucking trash, okay? Anyone that wants to say that they're fucking going to postpone taxes for five years, it's fucking trash. We need to eliminate these fucking taxes.
5: Anyone that owns a non-retail storefront distro in a low-tax city or county needs to rise up against this bill, and I'd really like to know who the special interest tied to CCIA is that's pushing this pork in there.
4: I can tell you it's Jared Kylo from UCBA.
6: I, Ooh. I, I really, oh, go I, I really want to thank you, Sean. We've worked uh, many, many a time as before with delivery with the Green Centaur up there at the Capitol and stuff, and you're dead on it. And I, I just want to thank you very much for bringing it up. Uh, definitely. Uh, um, Nicole as well. Laura, I, I hear you on the double tax, but, you know, working in this field and this thing for over seven years and dealing with that and dealing with the municipalities on the double tax, it's basically breaks down with the origination of where it came from. And that's what's been going on with the delivery a long time and why there's 300 deliveries sitting in Oakland, but no other other local jurisdictions, because this local jurisdiction control makes no sense to me if people voted on it. There is no vote if you're being controlled by the municipalities and bam, yeah. that And Access is shut it has been completely shut off for me and my patients and I've fought for SB twenty nine, thirty-four so we can get access and for delivery. And Jackie Ajax was bold enough to go into sixty-four and rewrite it after bitching about it so many times at her comments and to see that it's gonna basically be controlled by the head of CCIA is what I'm seeing. And you know, to be able to shut down delivery like they've been trying for over five years and to have this bill up, it's bullshit. Thanks.
2: Well, I think you oh. need to pay attention too, to the jurisdictions that require you to have a license locally, like San Francisco, Santa Cruz, unincorporated areas there that require you to have a local license to deliver. to deliver. Are finding people. Like they're sending people letters, they're finding them. We need to pay attention to those jurisdictions, call them out for what they're doing and, and work. And I know some lobbyists who are working against those interests that I, you know, if anybody wants to help in those efforts, I welcome you to the bandwagon.
3: Uh, thank you much everyone um, for your comments on my headline um but yeah i just wanted to wrap this up by saying you know it's really important for us to pay attention to the entire bill when we're looking at these things a lot of times you start reading it you're like yeah 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 sign this um get to the end always get to the end read the entire thing um i think you know this is how we got where we are with 64 right we didn't read the entire thing um and so yeah thank you guys all for your opinions on that
1: Nobody reads it. That's why we just needed to say one p- in one page... Weed is legal. Anyway, thank you. That was really a cool conversation. Uh, make sure that you listen to it on the podcast again. Up next is Rico Lamit. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Cannavision events, but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. What's your du- juicy headline, Rico?
7: Well, I got a little celeb gossip for the day (laughs) definitely not my usual lane but whatever all right uh, Gwyneth Paltrow is invested in a company founded by a guy that she used to babysit it's coming out of People Magazine and Grazia um the Goop founder invested in the initial seed round for Cannes, the cannabis-infused beverage brand backed by Darren Chris, Rebel Wilson, and Nina Dobrev, and Kate Hudson as well. It's been over two years now since the heavy celebrity-backed drinkable brand um, announced their initial $5 million seed round. And whether you like the company or not, they're pretty much everywhere. Uh, one of the biggest celebrity names associated with Cannes has Always been Gwyneth Paltrow, with stories always referencing she and founder Luke Anderson knowing each other or growing up in the same neighborhood in Manhattan. Well, it seems there's just a little bit more to that connection. Anderson jokingly alleged in an interview with the New York Post, uh, she used to change my diapers and now she supports me in selling drugs. Hmm, interesting. Fast forward to 2019, Anderson's now the co-founder of Ken, trying to get the brand up and running, uh, thinking it's going to be a layup because, you know, they're past. Uh, Surprisingly, a lot of celebs have already... Invested in uh in the brand before the Goop boss got in, he and his partner Jake Bullock pitched Gwyneth first, but she shut them down, saying that the brand was too small for that at the time. Hmm. According to Anderson, Gwyneth told him that she wouldn't back Can because it, it was barely working and not enough traction. I was heartbroken, he said. He persevered and eventually proved to Gwyneth and, uh, that Can was growing as a business and would be a smart investment. Well, proving to be more of a grower than a shower, it didn't take long for Paltrow to hop in on that initial $5 million seed round and join in the likes of all of those other celebrities, um, giving the infused drinks company that coming-of-age confidence she always knew was there. And the rest is history, or... Her story. Well, growing up as rich kids in Manhattan, I'm sure that Luke's parents definitely had monitors set up, and they'll tell what really went on during those diaper-changing sessions. And what I want to know as a concerned parent is what age did she stop babysitting Anderson? Or did she? Hmm. There's Rico Lameet, Delba's dad on the street, and you know, just a concerned parent and shit. Reporting for the State of Canvas Hour. what do you guys think about this? Is it a problem? Nanograms? So are you
0: saying she's rocking the cradle, Rico?
1: He's a grown adult.
0: He hasn't been his whole life, Nicole.
1: I'm just I'm surprised that she didn't see um, his vision earlier. I I did not know that. So um, guess. maybe she wasn't looking. Maybe
0: for he was it. covered in a cloud of smoke. <laughs> maybe she wasn't looking for it earlier. Susan,
1: I wonder if Snoop
3: Dogg introduced or, or uh, made her really think about it, you know, because Snoop was her first weed dealer.
7: I thought that was Cam, uh, Cameron. Uh, oh, deal.
3: you're right. You're right. That wasn't Gwyneth Paltrow. You're
1: right. That was not
7: all white lit women look alike. Nicole.
1: <laughs> white, beautiful women. They yeah. all look alike. <laughs> oh, my. Not a fan of the beverage. I, I don't know about you, but um, they have one I, I can't.
3: They have one that's really tasty. It's like a mint watermelon. I really love that one. Um, but yeah. Do you yeah, feel
1: yeah. any effects from two or three or four, Nicole?
7: I think we should bong them.
3: They have, they have different potencies. There's one that's a, a 10 milligram. I think that's the one that I feel the most. But they have like micro, you know, two and a half milligrams and stuff, which I think is pretty cool.
8: Isn't she already invested in the CBD space, like for some of her cosmetic products for Goop? Sure. I'm just saying she's not completely foreign or unexposed to the industry.
7: No, definitely not. You know, but uh, Can made a big splash because it has all these celebrities back, celebrities backing it. They really made a a, a lot of noise during the pandemic. You know, uh, Rebel Wilson, and then re- more recently Rosario Dawson as well. So
0: I'm really confused as to why Luke hasn't implemented a marketing thing of yes, you can.
3: Oh my gosh! All right. great segue to the stealer of dad jokes, Spotlights, Mr. Jason Beck. Jason Beck's the longest-running retailer in cannabis U.S. history and the literal highest member of the GOP. What do you have for us today, Jason?
0: Oh, yeah, Nicole. Good morning, everybody. Happy Thursday. My story comes out of South Dakota and everyone's favorite prohibitionist governor, Kristi Noem where medical marijuana patients can continue to grow cannabis at home, but lawmakers limit the number of pot plants. In-home cultivation of cannabis will remain legal in South Dakota for medical cannabis card holders. Voters in 2020 authorized medical uh, marijuana patients to grow marijuana for personal use with, within their private residences, but the approval didn't stipulate any limit to the number of plants that can be grown at once. Oh, 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 I smell trouble. That's been a source of worry for a majority of South Dakota lawmakers since Wednesday. Uh, the House and Senate came to terms on, a settle, on settling the limit at four marijuana plants. It's a compromise, if you will, said Representative Fred Deutsch, a Republican from Florence. Initially, the House passed a measure that would have completely prohibited any in-home cultivation in the state, while the Senate preferred legislation setting the limit at six plants three in full, full maturity stage, and three seedlings not yet producing THC. Senator Mike Roll, a Republican from Alberton said while voters didn't want a cap on plants, he's pleased both, both chambers could agree on a bill that maintains some level of home grow for medical cannabis patients. In a quote, he says, I'm glad to see the House is understanding that banning home cultivation isn't the right approach, but I do wish they would focus more on the governor's promise to provide the best medical program available, he said. The four-plant limit in Senate Bill 24 specifies no more than two plants can be uh, in in mature stage at one time. The measure now heads to the governor's desk for a signature. It would actually take effect on July 1st of this year. Well, I'm willing to bet that probably Governor Christie Noone, being the prohibitionist that she is, will probably veto this bill. But great job, fucking legislature of South Dakota. You managed to fuck up another good thing, such as homegrown. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour.
1: It is a line in the sand. It's not okay.
0: Lines in
8: four plants with only two that are allowed to be mature or flowering. That is some bullshit. Yeah,
0: it's getting rough out there for home growers in South Dakota.
1: I
3: mean, was it ever good? (laughs) for them
1: out there. <laughs> By the way, we have we have no listeners in the north or the south of the Dakotas. We've got listeners all over the globe but not there. Go ahead, Mary. Oh, I mean, you know, these attacks on home grow are happening everywhere. Michigan had such a generous home grow situation and they uh, they've added additional bills to stifle home grow. It's uh it's going to be really hard to grow your own weed in the
9: future. Really hard.
1: You can't say that there's benefits to cannabis and not allow home grow. That I that mean, doesn't make any sense. Absolutely. And if you're only allowed two mature plants, then how is that gonna work? I mean, what if what if you get an infestation of some type and then you, you can't take your medicine from a medicinal standpoint, it's really uh, an ineffective law and definitely not uh consumer. Uh, if you care about your cultivar, you have to have a mom too, at least one mom.
0: I blame all MSOs for this because MSOs are always the ones that are lobbying against homegrow. So fuck them and fucking support
1: home growers. Yeah, whatever. They, they were all the lobbying in the state of New York. You're absolutely 100
9: percent right, Jason. It was all of it was all the MSOs behind
1: it. Let's keep smoking the news.
7: Let's. Hailing straight out of what Nicole West claims to not be the longest of all beaches. Our next correspondent is CEO of deliciously vegan edible brand Fruit Slabs. He's also a cannabis and intellectual property attorney. And his beer game is, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, so strong.
5: Brandon Dorsky, what you got for us today, my man? Thanks for having me. Today, my story comes from Reuters. It's five cannabis cases to watch in 2022. This snapshot of hot legal topics provides a window into some of the kinks that still need to be ironed out to craft better and unbiased regulatory and enforcement models for a blossoming cannabis market. Five cases to watch are Northeast Patients Group et al. vs. Figueroa. This case focuses on in-state residency requirements and the budget rider commonly known as the Rohrbacher Amendment, which prohibits the Department of Justice from using appropriated funds to interfere with medical marijuana industries that operate in compliance with state law. There have been multiple challenges to residency requirements being discriminatory. And the First Circuit Court of Appeals is hearing a challenge to Maine's rule requiring medical cannabis businesses be owned by a state resident. In August, the District Court of Maine struck down the residency rule on the basis that it violated the Dormant Commerce Clause, which prevents states from discriminating against interstate commerce. But Maine has challenged that the Dormant Commerce Clause applies to the federally illegal cannabis industry. Another case, or two cases, is Bierbach v. Diggers Polaris and Musta vs. Mendota Heights Dental Center. In February of 2022, the U.S. Supreme Court invited the Solicitor General to submit an amicus brief addressing whether the Controlled Substances Act preempts state laws requiring workers to be reimbursed for the cost of medical cannabis to treat work-related injuries. The request is on the heels of seeking review of the Minnesota Supreme Court's findings that a state workers' compensation law requiring coverage of medical cannabis was preempted. This conflicts with decisions in other states, like New Jersey and New Hampshire, where reimbursements to medical cannabis patients were deemed permissible despite ongoing federal prohibition under the Controlled Substances Act. These cases put the dedication of the rescinded Cole Memorandum in the spotlight. It was rescinded by Jeff Sessions in January 2018, but that memo previously limited federal interference in state-compliant cannabis programs. Another case to look out for, which we have talked about on this program at length, is Imperial Enterprises LLC versus the United States. This is about secure cash hauling for compliant cannabis businesses. Imperial is a Pennsylvania-based company that offers cash collection services in several states, including Missouri, California, and elsewhere, and law officers have seized their cash that they are transporting from compliant cannabis businesses. Imperial's suit seeks to block the government from unreasonably stopping, searching, or seizing their vehicles and their contents. Imperial has also sought an emergency order preventing the defendants from carrying out these types of stops and seizures in the future. In January, the U.S. District Court judge denied Imperial's request for an emergency order without prejudice, so Imperial might still find injunctive relief. The article goes on to talk about two other types of cases without being too specific. One is popular IP rights cases, where major brands are having their trade names knocked off, like the plethora of modified cannabis candies appropriating brands like Skittles, Nerds, and Fritos. Big-box brands have taken to the courtroom to enforce their trademark rights. Many of the lawsuits have been settled with alleged infringers seemingly agreeing to cease production. But one case that hasn't settled is Wrigley Jr. Company v. Turkpogs, LLC, which was filed in Northern District of Illinois. Wrigley claims Terp Skittles brand with a Z uh, and marketing infringed on their famous Skittles mark and has amended their filing to seek more damages on the basis that Terps was doing this willfully. Terps attempted to get the suit dismissed, but that has failed and the case is moving into the next phase of litigation. And last but not least, pay attention to unlicensed cannabis sales happening in many places, but the government is cherry-picking their enforcement actions. Want to look out for is one popping up out of New Jersey. Dirty Jersey Supplies, LLC, was accused of illegally selling cannabis following an investigation by Bergen County. Law enforcement seized over 300 grand and hundreds of pounds of cannabis, and we're going to wait and see what happens in court. This is Brandon Dorsky reporting for the State of Cannabis.
0: So they seized a bunch of booth, Brandon? Oh, yeah. Lots of booth. I mean... Go ahead.
2: Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, these are all really important cases. So um, It's it's interesting to see how the the legal landscape is developing right now.
7: It's a lot hotter than it was a couple of years ago, I'll
0: tell you that much. The, the heat on turp hogs is not the heat that they're really looking for. And it's guilds. You have to say it like a Russian oligarch, Brandon. You have um,
7: uh, a lot of experience with those oligarchs, Jason? It's guilds.
1: Allegedly. Oh,
3: my God. All right. Well, we are at time on that headline. Thank you so much for all of those crazy cases to watch, Brandon. And definitely, we've covered all of them, and I'm sure we will keep doing as they develop. Um, and up next, we have Miss Gretchen Gailey. Gretchen is a Washington insider and the founder of Panoptic Strategies. What
8: do you have for us today, Gretchen? Good afternoon, Nicole. Today, my headline is coming from Marijuana Moment, and in the headline should say Democrats fail us again. However, the headline is... Congress keeps D.C. marijuana sales ban in place but continues protections for medical cannabis states in spending legislation. Washington, D.C. will continue to be blocked from legalizing recreational marijuana sales under a bicameral omnibus spending bill that was introduced by congressional leaders early yesterday morning, but a separate provision protecting state and territory medical cannabis programs from federal interference remains intact in the legislation, which is expected to get voters in both chambers this week. The ongoing cannabis commerce blockade in D.C. is a disappointment for advocates who had hoped that congressional leaders in the Democratic-controlled Congress would remove the rider like the House did in its version last year and as the Senate also did, In a draft version that was circulated by the Appropriations Committee. Activists also wanted to see an expansion of the current state medical marijuana protection language to cover all state cannabis programs from Justice Department intervention, but that didn't pan out either. Mm -hmm. President Joe Biden's administration didn't help when it released its budget proposal for the 2022 fiscal year, which maintained the so-called Harris Rider blocking DC from using its local tax dollars from allowing cannabis commerce despite voter approval of an initiative to legalize possession and home cultivation eight years ago. The measure, named after its anti-legalization sponsor, Representative Andy Harris, has been annually renewed since 2014. Representative Eleanor Holmes Norton said she is deeply disappointed the legislation maintains the marijuana rider, as well as a separate one blocking the city from using local funds to pay for abortion. She placed the blame at the feet of Republicans whose votes are necessary to pass the bill. More than 50 leading marijuana advocacy and civil rights organizations sent a letter to congressional leaders and appropriators last week asking that they finally allow recreational cannabis sales to begin in the district. A House vote on the omnibus appropriations legislation is expected to happen as early as today, just days before a government spending deadline that has been pushed back multiple times through continuing resolutions. The bill would then head to the Senate and need to be signed into law by Biden ahead of Friday's midnight deadline to avoid a government shutdown. Once that happens, D.C. officials will be blocked from passing legislation to legalize adult-use cannabis sales until at least the end of September, when fiscal year 2022 ends. It would be up to Congress to potentially remove the rider from subsequent appropriations legislation. While there appeared to be shared interest among House and Senate Democrats in ending the D.C. ban as part of the fiscal year 2022 appropriation session, achieving the goal provided logistically complicated. All four committee leaders handling appropriations reportedly agreed to refrain from adding new or removing existing policy riders without bipartisan bicameral buy-in effectively dooming the process of eliminating D.C. language this round due to opposition from top Republicans. D.C. Mayor Murro Bowser said last April that local officials are prepared to move forward with implementing a legal system of recreational marijuana sales in the nation's capital just as soon as they get over the final hurdle of congressional interference. District Council Chairman Phil Mendelssohn said in a statement on Wednesday that the ongoing rider poses public safety problems in the nation's capital, adding that he is incensed to see that Congress continues to thwart the overwhelming majority of district voters who support recreational cannabis legalization and regulation. Meanwhile, the medical marijuana protection rider that was first enacted in 2014 was was again included in the omnibus legislation, But despite pleas from advocates and lawmakers to expand the policy to all state and territory cannabis programs and the House's approval of amendments to do so, that broader language was not adopted in the newly negotiated bill. As you may have uh, taken away from my initial comment, I think this is a failure by the Democrats. They had the House and the Senate on board with removing this rider, but then decided because they came up with something, oh, we can't move anything, we're not going to push forward. If Democrats really wanted to move forward with cannabis... They would put their balls behind this and actually fucking do something. I'm sick and tired of Democrats saying we can't do anything because the Republicans might vote against this. This is an omnibus bill that will keep the government running. I would love to see if the Republicans are really going to stand and go down on their sword saying, fuck no, we're not going to fund the government. We're going to shut everything down because you want to allow recreational sales in D.C., which passed with 71 percent of the fucking vote eight years ago. This is Gretchen for State of Campus News Hour.
0: Get him, Gretchen. Get him.
1: Did Gretchen say the F word?
0: Yeah. Yes.
8: Welcome <laughs> to the team, Gretchen. <laughs> we gotta get you to fucking
0: smoke a blunt now. Yeah. Don't get me
8: started. So is this mean good? The
0: Democratic party should rebrand themselves as the failure party.
8: I think it they, they are definitely the stick my head in the sands run and hide party.
7: I think we should abolish all political parties. Straight up.
8: I mean, these Jagoffs are in charge. They're in charge of both chambers. They're the fucking president. And they're just like, no, we're not going to do it. Even though it was adopted in the fucking Senate in the draft language. Come on. Grow a pair.
1: Andrew Yang wants to take us forward, and I'm going to take us to a relight because we're past the half hour mark.
0: You are tuned into the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose.
3: The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers, not those of any other speakers, State of Cannabis or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice. And the State of Cannabis and its speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory or any other authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationships. The sponsorship of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of. Cannabis or the expressions of any opinions whatsoever on the part of the state of cannabis or any of its speakers. Viewer discretion advised.
1: If you missed the beginning of the show, make sure to catch it on the replay on Clubhouse or find us a few hours after the show anywhere you get your podcasts or on our YouTube channel. And if you like the content, please subscribe and leave us a killer review. Next, we've got Nicole West. She is going to deliver some breaking news. What you got, Nicole?
3: Well, breaking news. The State of Cannabis is throwing an event. Cannabis event during the Summit of the Americas highlights multilateral solutions. For the hemisphere. So, this is our press release for immediate release. Um, the CARE Cannabis Awareness Research and Economics, or CARE, a California based 501c3 nonprofit, is presenting an important international event inspired by the Summit of Americas in Los Angeles, June 5th and 6th, 2022, at Green Street in downtown LA. This two-day event, the State of Cannabis in the Americas, will connect cannabis businesses and policy leaders and provide invaluable opportunities for attendees to interact with government representatives and head members of institutions and discuss political, economic, and social issues impacting the cannabis industry. The issues discussed at this cannabis-focused event will include regional and global environmental concerns, along with other issues impacting access, sustainability, governance, and equity in the cannabis marketplace. The Summits of the Americas are an institutionalized gatherings of the heads of the state and government within the Western Hemisphere where recognized leaders discuss common policy issues, affirm shared values, and commit to concerted actions at the regional and national level to address continuing and new challenges faced in the Americas. The issues relating to cannabis touch on all of these goals, including environmental, social, and governance issues in the policies required to address and meet needs of our global citizens. Susan Sorries, the founder and CEO of CARE, said that in these divided times, one thing that most people can agree on is the burgeoning cannabis industry Looks to be a lifeline, not only in terms of economics, but in health and social justice. We are proud at showcasing ways that cannabis can be the glue for our hemisphere, including companies, people, laws, and governments that are building sustainable, resilient, and equitable futures. We are so excited about this event. Um, if you guys want to check it out, go to stateofcannabis.org. Um, you can also reach out to Susan, Susan at the stateofcannabis.org and um, any of the people on the uh, with the Green Beans, any of our hosts can help you as well. Myself or Rico, uh, please, please, please reach out to us, go to our website and share our press release so that we can get a lot of buzz about this. And we're really excited and we hope to see you all there. Yay.
1: I am so excited to be planning an in-person event and something that's so, so, so important. Um, really, you guys help us get the word out. Uh, this is going to be, hopefully, hopefully it's, it'll be a big deal. We've got to break down some walls and uh, l- help everyone rise up.
7: I'm all about both of those, breaking down walls and rising up. Now, up next. We should build more <laughs> walls.
1: No walls.
3: Oh, my fucking God, bro.
7: Tear them down. Right, so.
1: I'm going to keep smoking the news really quick. Um, it's no secret that I love cannabis consumption lounges. There should be as many as there are bars, but that may be a pipe dream on my part. My headline comes from Eater LA, and it's West Hollywood's cannabis consumption lounges are making a comeback. The first regulated consumption lounge in the United States is in West Hollywood, and it opened about six months ago, pre-COVID. It was called Lowell's Cafe. Now it's the original Cannabis Cafe. It was a big hit. Jason Beck, the president of cannabis tourism in WeHo, and I went to check it out. There was a lot of buzz and it was fun, but they had a a bunch of hiccups that needed to be worked out. But still, consumption lounge, yay! The Cannabis Cafe was a major success, thanks in large part to the city of West Hollywood itself. Officials began making long-term plans to handle cannabis consumption lounges well before California's adult use became legal in 2017, launching a permit process to have a total of 10 dispensaries and 16 consumption lounges within the compact. City of WeHo in short order. Then the pandemic hit. Fast forward to 2022 and that two-year lull is ending. Yay. Now a new crop of cannabis consumption lounges is preparing to open around West Hollywood, including some with notable celebrity names attached. There's even actively happening beyond activity happening beyond West Hollywood with CBD restaurants, hotels, and other hospitality projects landing in and around Greater LA. Let's take a look at uh, the state of the scene at the moment. There's the Tree. It's WeHo's second cannabis consumption lounge, tea, food, and massage, and more at Aeon's Botanica. There's the Monica house, Monica's House with celebrities Bill Maher and Woody Harrelson attached. There's more, but you should check out the article. I'm going to uh, pin it as soon as I'm done. Um, let's go check out these venues. Let's make this work. This is a good thing.
7: Jason Beck, do you have um, anything to do with any of these? Yes, I have a lot to do with all of them. El Presidente. What would you like to specify?
0: So West Hollywood is going to be the premier destination for Canada tourists to be able to explore California and the Los Angeles region. So come on down to West Hollywood. Let's get a broom and take a toke. Get a broom? A fucking room, Rico.
7: <laughs> Alright, let's keep it moving because we we're going to be short on time for everybody. Alright, up next, our next correspondent is a blunt-blowing fresno-based protector of freedom representing the black conservative point of view the mainstream media just does not want you all to know exists well here to change that narrative it's the governor himself nicholas wildstar what you got for us this morning my man all yeah. right
10: thank you i apologize for that well i was saying happy birthday to you Monaka, and happy harriet tubman day state of cannabis In celebration of our nation's most famous female abolitionist who used her superwoman powers to help others break free from oppression, I bring to you the story of a Ukrainian-born American attempting to do just that, only using cannabis. My article from WNDU 16 News highlights the effort of cannabis dispensary Sunset Coast Provisions in Cassopolis, Michigan, who's pledging to donate 15% of sales through the end of March to, cause, uh, to a cause he believes in 110%, Ukrainian crisis relief. We'll be donating, and then also our family will be taking in refugees, said Sunset Coast owner Peter Bobek. Bobek and his Ukrainian-born wife, Alana Bobek, hope to accept their first refugee next week. There is a 16-year-old girl who is going to come here alone, said Alana. Both her parents are fighting against the Russian army, and they refuse to leave. Alana says it took the teen almost 24 hours to cross the border into Poland. She's awaiting results of a COVID test before she can board a plane. All seemed fine when Peter and Alana Bobek visited Ukraine last summer. They never imagined a recent turn of events. It's a new normal now for them to sleep in a bomb shelter and basements of their own homes. It's a new normal for them to run as fast as they can to the nearest basement or bomb shelter as soon as they hear sirens wailing, said Alana, We are praying that it will end and that NATO and the U.S. will hear Ukraine and the Ukrainian people with their request to close the sky over Ukraine and make sure that Russian missiles and bombs are not falling on the heads of our kids and children. Alana still has a brother and many cousins, aunts and uncles in Ukraine. In a recent Facebook post, she told those with an American visa that they were not alone. Alana said she uh, has an army of friends, neighbors, and just kind, caring people here. They want to help and welcome you into their homes. The Bobeks live in Fort Wayne area in the Fort Wayne area and feel that people who are desperate and have somebody in the United States who are willing to help should be able to enter the country without a visa. I'm sure not everyone will agree with that last statement, seeing as our nation has a habit of expressing prejudice towards immigrants when our country is literally made up of them. But I think we can all agree somewhat that despite having such a sordid history, that America still stands out as the preferred place for freedom seekers all over the world. God bless the people of Ukraine, the people of Russia, the people of Yemen, the people of America, and the people outside of America. Governments suck and will continue to put us at war with each other until we, the people, refuse to fight their fights and demand nothing less than peace. Reporting with the State of Cannabis Hour, this is Nick Wildstar, a.k.a. the governor of Me, Myself, and I. Speak now or forever hold your peace.
7: Cannabis once again, like leading the way, leading the conversation for helping people. But um, I'm with I'm, I'm with you, uh, Governor up, Nick, Nicholas. It's always the government's Nick, fault. Always. Nicholas, do you think
0: that they would have a better um, better approach of uh, getting into America if they flew into Mexico and then just walked across the border?
2: <laughs> At least the price of gas in Mexico is reasonable.
0: It definitely would. <laughs> what about what about they Canada? Can drive right. I'm just saying they they don't check visas there, so I think that's the that's that's the that's the escape route.
2: I just think that this is you know just another example as Rico said, if cannabis leading the way, you know there's a Meta Thrive here in the Mission, San Francisco did a similar thing. Their founder uh, Misha was born in Odessa and. Um, He's Ukrainian, Jewish descent. And, um, you know, so he's been really vocal about the way that our our businesses can support. He's been raising a lot of money for um, a a nonprofit that's helping people in Ukraine. I think it's inspiring to see people really, you know, putting themselves out there, putting their businesses out there in support of the the travesty. I mean, you know, the, the people who are experiencing the travesty. While being overtaxed.
0: Totally, Robin totally agree with you, sense. Laura, on, on on all of that. And I'm just waiting and anticipating the prohibitionist news story that comes from this that that spins it around as saying that fucking cannabis businesses are now funding wars.
3: Well, that's possible. But uh, <laughs> thank you so much for that headline, Nicholas. And um, I think that's a good segue with Laura's comments as one of the most compassionate people that I know, a fighter for love is love. Co-founder of the International Cannabis Bar Association, current chair of the Bar Association of San Francisco francisco cannabis law section and the founder of the san francisco equity applicant pro bono legal project doing good deeds all over the place laura what do you have for us today (laughs)
2: Thanks. That was a really, really lovely intro. Thanks, Nicole. Um, I have a story actually about microdosing today, so something completely different. Uh, the, The title of the article is More People Are Microdosing for Mental Health, But Does It Work? It's by Dana Smith for the New York Times. So the article starts off with this sort of humanitarian story about a man battling depression and anxiety who read about some research from Johns Hopkins University about psilocybin And then in a small study, it says that full doses of the drug helped cancer patients cope with depression and anxiety. So then he read on and he found some anecdotes, it says, of quote-unquote Silicon Valley influencers who are claiming increased energy from taking tiny doses of psychedelics. So then he decided apparently to start microdosing himself which he defined as a small nibble about half an inch of a mushroom to see if it might improve his mood and he said that immediately he started feeling the benefits seeing the benefits of this. So the article says that quote unquote microdosing is typically defined by experts as taking 5 to 10% of a full dose of a psychedelic. So um just that amount to avoid getting a hallucinogenic high. The article also quotes a 30-year-old bartender whom she interviewed as apparently foraging for her own medicine in nearby woods, saying, It's akin to walking outside and the sun is suddenly out. The author might also have stated that foraging for your own medicine is a little bit precarious and probably not something we should all be trying at home, but she did. not The article does go on to discuss a couple of recent studies. Apparently, the two largest placebo-controlled trials of microdosing were published in 2021 and both suggested that people experiencing experience benefits, but basically it's a placebo effect. In other words... Everyone felt better, even if they took the placebo, and they didn't feel better if they thought they had. A third placebo-controlled study published this February apparently supported the same conclusion. But don't be Debbie Downer just yet, apparently using neuroimaging tech, researchers have also shown changes in brain activity and connectivity, even after small doses. But the science isn't... Is still out on all of this, and I think this is a, a an area of significant debate. So I'd love to toss it to any doctors we have in the audience or on stage to try to help us make sense of this. Basically, going back to the man we met at the top of the story, he said, "Really, the biggest change he's experienced is a general shift in his own mindset." He said, "I started because I read it helped with depression." But as I moved on, it's really helped a lot more with mental and personal growth and outlook on life, how you want to live and your existence in the world. And I found that to be the most informative part of this story, but I do encourage people to to read it. My name is Laura DeCaro, reporting for the State of Cannabis Hour. Jane?
11: Uh, thanks, Laura. I hear, hear you. The issue, as I see it, is uh, the same issue as in cannabis, multi-agent pharmacology. Sorry for... Uh, big words there. Basically, what is a dose? Uh, it, because you need to know what a dose is before you know what a microdose is. And when you're taking a plant with multiple active ingredients, you don't know what the dose is. So you have to figure that out first. Um, FDA hasn't really worked on that. Another point I wanted to make is, uh, is the placebo effect. Uh, most SSRIs are coming in as the placebo effect unless you combine the SSRI with uh, therapy. SSRI or, or medicines like Prozac. Uh, so the argument that it's a placebo effect, this doesn't hold water because we have a lot of drugs out there that are, are just placebo effect until you add therapy with it.
3: Jason calls my microdoses my happy pills. So I personally feel uh, as if they're definitely changing my life in a big way.
2: Right. I mean, if you feel like it's working, is there really... I mean, what's the harm, I suppose? Exactly. If it works
3: for you, it works for you, right?
2: Yeah, thank you.
7: I love taking a trip into my own mind.
2: You're the only one who does wake (laughs) up.
7: All right, so let's keep it moving here. Up next, our next correspondence a pot loving PhD pushing for common sense cannabis policy for everyday people, a real life outside the box activist remaining optimistic in the midst of cannabis chaos. It's also her birthday. So happy birthday. <laughs> happy Born Day, Pisces. What do you got for this, this morning,
9: Manica? Uh, thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. I am talking about regs today. My story comes from Nicole Potter of High Times, and the headline reads, California Cannabis Department proposes new regulatory changes. So here's what's happening. California's Cannabis Regulatory Authority, the DCC, which stands for Department of Cannabis Control, announced a new round of rulemaking last Friday, March 4th. According to their press relief, the press release, these changes are intended to streamline and simplify existing regulations, enhance consumer protections, and make permanent changes that are currently in effect as emergency regulations. If approved, they would be expected to go into effect in fall of 2022, and the September 2021 emergency regs would also be permanently adopted. Here's a really rapid rundown of some of the changes, and I also recommend reading Hillary Brickens' blog post, which is linked in the High Times article, that is pinned above. And remember that these are not yet effective. This is what the DCC is proposing. No more personal cultivation on licensed premises. Shipping containers and modular buildings are permanent structures. Premises diagrams may become less painful to complete. Non-compliant premises, like those having living spaces, would have a six-month grace period to come into compliance. Instead of five or so forms for SOPs, they'll be consolidated into one. The definition of a financial interest holder could soon include a person that has entered into an intellectual property licensing agreement for a share of the profits. A lab needs to have independence from persons that hold a license or an interest in a commercial cannabis business license for any activity other than testing. They can't give special treatment, such as discounts, to some licensees but not others. Caffeine is coming off the prohibited additives list. The DCC is saying no to medical devices or applicators such as nasal sprays, eye drops, or metered dose inhalers. Business promos might get trickier. No giveaways of cannabis or accessories. No raffles or sweepstakes. And much more. So you'll need to take a look. The new package is 504 pages, including strikethroughs and consult with your experts to prepare for what is being considered. To wrap up, here's where we are today, and here's what's coming next. We are just beginning the 45-day public comment opportunity that goes with these formal rulemaking processes. That ends on April 19th, 2022. You can send your public comments via email or present during a live meeting on two different days, March 23rd, which is in a couple weeks, and April 19th. You can also check out the DCC's YouTube page where they posted their March 3rd webinar on the rulemaking timeline and how to give feedback. This is Meneke Mahajan reporting for the State of Cannabis Hour. Happy highlighting, everyone.
0: Where are all the meme gods at with the DCC? Because to me, the DCC should probably stand for Department of Cannabis Corrections.
9: Yeah, there there is not a strong meme game for the DCC. I have to agree with you there, Jason.
0: Is is
7: that what uh, Republicans call their staffers now?
9: Most of the quality <laughs> the- memers are trappers.
3: Like 90% of the quality memers are are not uh, picking on the regulated market <laughs> on finite level. They're picking on it as a
1: whole big clump, and- uh, the good memers. Yeah, and there's not that many people like Elliot Lewis that are willing to put their target on their backs. yes.
0: This is a call to action to all the meme lords out there, okay? We want to see Department of Cannabis Corrections on the fucking internet.
1: Bring
3: it. (laughs) Yes. Holler at sour waves. All right. Uh, Thank you so much for that headline, Medico. We got to hop to our next correspondent. And it is, I believe this is Dr. Jean's first time on the stage, Dr. Jean Talleyrand, uh, founder of (laughs) (laughs) Medicare. co-founder of the CESC, a nonprofit cannabis research organization, Cannabis OG, compassionately representing the people. Dr. Gene Talleyrand, what do you have for us today?
11: Uh, Thanks, everyone. So this story is from Gondrepreneur by T.J. Bransout. The headline is, Few Parents Know About CBD Use in Children. Um, A recent poll by the University of Michigan's Mott Children's Hospital sampled 1,992 parents With at least one child between the age of 3 and 18, most parents polled, about 80%, either did not know much about CBD use in children or never heard of it prior to the poll. I might have stopped the poll right there. Apparently, it is of some value to the authors to ask parents about something they don't know much about. Despite not knowing about CBD, 73% of the parents optimistically thought that CBD might be a good option for children when other medicines don't work. The factors that would be very important to parents in deciding whether to give CBD to children or not are its side effects. 83% thought CBD products should be regulated by the FDA and about three quarters say CBD for children should require a doctor's prescription. About one third thought taking CBD is basically the same as using marijuana. By marijuana, I assume they mean cannabis with more than 0.3% THC. Among the small percentage of parents who have given or considered giving CBD to their children, the most common reasons included anxiety, sleep problems, ADHD, muscle pain, autism, and just to make the child feel better in general. This poll highlights the limited knowledge that most parents have about CBD in children. In my experience, parents might do anything for a sick child, especially when other medications are not working. The numbers I thought were most interesting were the one-third of parents thought CBD was marijuana and three-quarters thought that CBD might be a good option for children when other medications don't work. So doing the math, I wonder if that means that 25% of parents would consider giving marijuana or THC to their children. For those of you who are parents, I wonder, would you give a sick child CBD? Would you give THC? This is Dr. Jean Talleyrand reporting for the State of Canada's NewsHour.
7: As a parent, I'd give my kid whatever works. That's what I've run into.
1: Absolutely. And when I was a young parent, I didn't try my child's formula and I still uh, gave them some of it. So whatever.
0: Rico, isn't that slogan also used by every parent whose child is a child athlete? I'm not a good uh, barometer of uh,
7: truth for that because my parents weren't that <laughs> Good people. So, um, sure.
2: But you are a dope dad. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, a lot of parents are going to be concerned too with like losing parental rights if their child has positive or controlled substances. So, you know, you can't, you've got to be really considerate of what those parents have going on
1: absolutely and uh thank you uh jean for uh your first headline on the state of cannabis news hour it's so great to have you this was a really good show we've reached the top of the hour if you missed any of it make sure to catch the replay or find us a few hours after the show anywhere you get your podcasts or on our youtube channel um sorry. Uh, And if you like the content, please leave us a review. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that comb through all the headlines each day to bring us just what we need to know. A big thank you to Nicole and Rico for co-producing the show with me. Thank you, audience, for being our eyes and ears when there's news in your city, county, state, or country. Your addition to our show makes the State of Cannabis News Hour news you can trust.
0: You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific time for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose.
1: Say goodbye, Rico.
0: Bye, baby. Bye, bye, baby.
2: Don't like Gwyneth Paltrow babysit your kids.